Welcome back to another edition of Potential Picks. I'm your host, Chris Dewar, and I'm joined by my co-host, Taylor Sokol. Today, we're going to be reviewing the HBO series, His Dark Materials. This is the fantasy series that is based off the novels by Philip Pullman. Uh, Season two dropped just at the tail end of 2020. So Taylor and I took our time to watch both season one and season two. So we'll mostly be talking about season two today, but we will be talking about season one a little bit as well. Which, which of course, means spoiler warnings. Spoiler warning. There it is again. There it was. So if you've not actually watched this show, we will be talking about some major plot points. So I would not suggest listening to our review until you've seen the show. Unless you've read the books and therefore you're like, well, I'm really, I don't have HBO, so I'll just tag along. What say you? Speaking of the books... I want to backtrack here before we go into the show. My history with this series, especially the books, uh, and we had the uh, standalone film that came out, I think, back in like 2007 or something. Um, I remember reading The Golden Compass. I got through it. It's definitely, uh, Pullman's books are definitely more adult uh, fantasy. They're not so easy for kids to read. I read that, got through that fine. I tried multiple times to read the subtle knife and i just couldn't do it i would every single time i'd get maybe maybe at most a quarter maybe a third in and then i would just give up (laughs) so that's as far as i got with those books uh one and maybe a third uh but i do remember the movie so i was excited to watch the series knowing i would know most about the first season and then hopefully visually i'd be explained the subtle knife and you know we are going to get a third season for the Amber Spyglass uh, at some point. So what was your history with this series pre-watching the new take on HBO? Mine was pretty much the same as yours, Chris. Uh, Actually, it was funny. My aunt had got me the books when she was in England. And so, of course, very often when you have material from different countries and it's kind of translated uh, in the States. Different uh, title, right? Yeah, Northern Lights is the, Mm -hmm. the first one. And so I was pretty much the same. This these all came out in the you know mid uh, to late nineties. These books, yeah. and we were very fairly young uh, readers. I've always loved reading at an early age, and some of the stuff I was always kind of digesting you know pretty early on. But I was a very pretty much the same way. Uh, I liked the first book, liked the idea. I've always been a fan of the fantasy genre, but it was they were difficult reads. A lot of heavy exposition, a lot of like details that I'm like, what's going on. And then reading into the second one, I, I never really finished the second one and I never got to, to pick up the third one. And I kind of just shelved those um, mm-hmm. and just never really came back to them. Of course, when the adaptation of Golden Compass came out, um, I was excited about that movie. I do remember watching it, but I, I remember I wasn't like a huge fan of that. You know, and usually I'm like uh, always like excited about adaptation, but I was like, okay. So when I heard that they were going to adapt those books uh, to HBO series, I was all about it because I was like, yes, they're going to tell a good story. They're going to explain this very well. And I was all for it. Yeah, I remember the movie being I enjoyed it. It wasn't like the best fantasy movie, but it's hard that time when it came out, you know, you've got you've had a few years, you know, you've had the couple years 
after Lord of the Rings uh, was very successful. You had the Harry Potter franchise. So clearly fantasy was back uh, and people wanted more of that. And then coming up a few years after that, we'd get into like the Hobbit films and such and Fantastic Beasts. So you could tell that people still had a, uh, a love for fantasy. This is just one of those series that it's very hard to kind of digest because uh, especially the religious themes in here and it's it's not your standard. It's more on the, in the likes of the Game of Thrones style fantasy where like there's a lot going on, a lot of multiple characters. Uh, this is a multi-world series. So there's multiple worlds with, you know, going through different uh, portals and such. And so I think the movie, they tried to dumb down some of the themes and they really played it to be like, this is going to be a successful movie. We'll get to make the other two. And they even left it off. Like they, they, t- they made the movie with that, like leave it off to go right into a sequel, which never got because it didn't make enough money. Uh, so unfortunately in such kinda... is life with some films. And, and oh yeah. Yeah. We've seen that from time to time again, you know, a movie really tries to go all out and uh, think they'll have a franchise on hand and then it doesn't work out. Well, this is, yeah, it was definitely a smart move. Go to HBO there's just some books they're going to be better off being told in long form with multiple episodes. So season one, we had eight episodes. Season two, we had seven. So this show, this this story, it's very imaginative. First off, uh, this world of, you know, everyone is born with a daemon, uh, which is a manifestation of their soul. It's like their literal spirit animal. <laughs> yeah, literally their spirit animal. And the fact that they can uh, they can kind of, you know, transform into whatever they want from time to time until they're of age, then they will stay of the form that is most representative of their souls. So you see that adults have whatever animal they have that is supposed to be representing their inner soul. But as a kid, it can go in and out of different forms for whatever need be. So, of course, we're following the, the adventures of Lyra. That is our main character played by Daphne Keene who we all remember as the feisty uh, daughter of uh, Wolverine, really. Mm. Or like, you know, basic daughter of Wolverine and uh, Logan. And uh, she just knocked it out of the park that that first performance. You know, that was a very uh, difficult role, I thought, to play off of Hugh Jackman being the star. And that in Logan, I think, is still my favorite uh, one of my favorite movies of his as, as Wolverine. Of Wolverine and, and probably the X-Men films as well, I would mm-hmm. agree. And for her, that role, I mean, it's not really, it was a big speaking role. It's it's all in her her face and, and you know, emotions. And she was like, she was like Spanish, right? Speaking in that yeah. movie pretty much. So it was kind of funny to like off the bat, you know, hello, I'm Lyra. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. there we go. Oh, she's British. And she's British. <laughs> yes. So we have her uh, and then really... Uh, Ruth Wilson, who is Marissa Coulter. This is like she this is the top notch uh, casting that really, I think, carries this show. She is the you know, we find out her mother and there's a, a true villain in this. And she's one of those. She shows face. She shows that she is, you know, this supposed to be this high up uh, ranked person in the in the magisterium. And she. She's just that that seedy villain that she hides all her inner turmoil and she hides her true uh, nature, which is, uh, of course, represented by her golden monkey that does not speak. And there's there's all this stuff that's damaged in there, you could tell. And I love how much they get to paint that picture over the course of so far two seasons. Mm -hmm. I got to see Ruth Wilson on Broadway 
in King Lear. She played the youngest daughter and she doubled as the fool, uh, which was really interesting. And she's a great actress and she knocks it out of the park oh, in this show. In it's, my a, it's a huge highlight for me for, for both seasons, especially uh, season two, where she has a lot mm-hmm. more to play with and a lot more range. Um, just in, uh, that was that was blew, blew me away. I was like within the first couple episodes, like this actress, who is she? I got to check it out. So I've been a fan of her work in the show so far. But the whole concept is, you know, we have these uh, people kidnapping kids and the mystery of like, why, why is this happening? Where are they taking these kids? Are they murdering them? What's going on? Yeah. And one of Lyra's best friends gets kidnapped and it's like, Oh, oh. so she's kind of been taken, you know, up with Mrs. Coulter to be like, we got to go find my friend, Roger. Unbeknownst to her, there's a lot of uh, seedy things going on with Mrs. Coulter and the Magisterium, which is very much this, the main theological kind of like overlord society, big brother, if you will. Of yeah, this you, they're, they're the government, but all kind of run by religion. And then this is the, we follow, you know, this beliefs. And you've got the kind of the usurper. He's kind of the rogue. We find out the main character performed uh, beautifully by James McAvoy is Lord Azrael, which we find out uh, is her father. And yeah. he is trying to prove this idea, uh, as we find out in season one, that there are multiple worlds and that um, what we, you know, we conceive of original sin is this thing called dust. So you hear a lot in the first season of this dust, which it's not like, oh, clean it up. Not, not a vacuum, no. No, no, exactly. <laughs> it's like, clean it up. Uh, so he is trying to prove these ideologies and stuff that have been set forth by Magisterium. It's all blasphemy. And he's on his own journey, and she's trying to find him and find her friend. And, of course, she meets a lot of great characters along the way, uh, especially if you're a fan of the book. Uh, there's all these different clans. You've got humans with demons. You've got uh, witches. Uh, and you've got armored bears that talk. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's quite the amazing world building within the first season. Yeah, and they get to show that a lot. I think it was great showing different locations and getting to delve a little deeper into not only the, the the plot, but the lore and especially the the locations I thought was really fun. And the great thing about this show, as HBO usually does, is we get all these great, you know, actors and not only uh, top-notch actors that are playing more main characters or featured characters, but even like one-offs. Like we had uh, Harry Melling, who we've talked about a few times on the podcast, you know, our, our Dudley Dursley continuing to work all the he's time, which is great. A fantastic character actor, as he's proven. And we also get some great uh, alum, especially if you're an HBO fan, like we are from Game of Thrones. You get a lot of Game of Thrones alum actors, which I think really kind of got me excited when I was like, oh, I know you, I know you. And mm-hmm. so I think the casting has proven to be top-notch. And of course, we also get the talents of Lin-Manuel Miranda, which we were laughing about this <laughs> when he's first introduced season one. Of course, what is he doing? He's singing. So it's like part of my contract. <laughs> He had to sing, but I was I will say I was pleasantly surprised by Lynn Manuel Miranda in this show. He plays Lee Scoresby. He's an aeronaut and he's kind of like our Western gunslinger type character, but he's he's one of those true, you know, knights that has a lot of heart to him and he takes a, a huge uh, liking to Lyra, almost like a uh, father figure. Uh, especially she grew up her whole life thinking that her uncle was just her uncle and then finds out, no, that's actually your dad. So there's a lot of uh, tension there, but he's very charming in the show and he's, he's kind of the, the gunslinger character. And um, yeah, it, it was kind of funny, of course, that he would have to sing, but uh, you could kind of see why I, I've, I always feel like fan, you know, ever since I remember reading Tolkien stories, 
it just was kind of obvious that like every every fantasy at some point someone's got to sing it's just that's what people do yeah. in fantasy movies well you got these long trips you got to have a little uh you know sea shanty or a little ballad. oh yeah <laughs> but it all it all kind of built up to the big reveal that mrs coulter was actually taking she was actually part of the group that was kidnapping the gobblers kids mm-hmm. with the gobblers to uh sounds like a candy uh, to, go, to go up to the north and they f- use this scientific device that would actually splice a kid from its daemon and therefore they could use that to collect dust it was all this very creepy you know especially because they they really talk about how um like for example if you're if you die, your your daemon dies, or if the daemon gets killed, you die. Like you know, that is a connected soul. So, if uh, you get burnt, the daemon gets burnt. You know, it's that connective tissue. So the fact that you're being severed from your daemon, you see that the kids slowly are so depressed that they essentially die. It's like you know, it's like it's just really uh, rough to see. And and this just there's a lot of this show that's you know, it's for the greater good. You know. If one if one person has to die so that thousands can live, you know, kind of thing, which I totally forgot about this in the book. That moment at the end of season one, uh, we know that this kind of uh, this experiment is supposed to allow a lot of dust to happen. We'll kind of build up to the end of season one moment when Lord Asriel has taken Roger to the summit of this mountain and he severs him from his daemon creating a huge thing of dust, which then opens a portal so that he can go to another world. So he just killed Lyra's best friend. Yeah, who she's fought to, to save this and protect. This entire series. She finally meets up with him. She finally they, meets her father and um, uh, face-to-face, knowing all this information. All this stuff, and it's just like, oh, right at the end. And now it's like, well, we got to... We got to keep going so that we can bring down, you know, because now I think what's interesting is that she she kind of has also this uh, hatred towards her mother and father because and she has this growth of I don't want to become them. I want to be my own thing, which, of course, she's the lead character and there's going to be a lot of stuff going on with her. So it was interesting. We had, you know, the cool bear fight, uh, you know, uh, the bear has become king again. Uh, and it, it kind of feels like, well, the. The, although Azrael's going to be on his path, Coulter's trying to find Lyra and protect her, clap, get her back in her clutches. We also had the introduction of Will in mm-hmm. season one, who is kind of the other key lead character. But I think you and I agreed it was interesting how much of Will's story they played into season one as opposed to putting it just in season two. They, they did a yeah. lot with him. Which I was surprised two. too, because when I, we talked about the show, I didn't realize, oh, so they're doing each season is basically each book, which which is smart because, again, get out while the going's good. You don't want to kind of oversee or welcome and you know make these long, drawn-out seasons. But I think um, his story in book two and season two would have been best served to focus more Will into season two. And I think you would have been able to play out and focus a little bit more season one. Now, season two is a little shorter. I think it would have been better served to have a little bit longer. Something we both agreed on, and we'll talk about this again, but something we agreed on was the there's a lot of world bidding. There's so many big concepts. And going back to this material that we kind of struggled to read, we realized, you know, why we struggled to read it in the first place. Uh, it is 
it is served well in this series, but at the same time, it is so much heavy exposition that it's kind of hard to understand some of the stuff. You can get a little lost. Well, season one was easier to follow because most of the action stays place on its world. So all of Lyra's journey, all the stuff that happens to that is in her world as she know it. Will's world, which is more connected to our planet Earth, if you will, our version of there's no demons and stuff. We have animals and, you know, our kind of technologies as we know it. The thing is, we have the bad guy, uh, Lord Carlo Boreal, who was played by Ariane Bakar. And this was a character that still is, is interesting because he you're trying to like be like, what is what is his motive here? What is he trying to do? Which we kind of learn more in, in uh, season two is he's this kind of collector of all these interesting items. But he's he's been following and tagging Will because he's trying to find his father and he wants to get hold of the subtle knife. That's kind of like, I think, his long term goal. But it was a little hard to follow that path. But he was the one that was actually traveling back and forth into different realms through season one and, of course, into season two. So it it was a little like, OK, as long as they stay in their plane, we kind of get it. Season two is so much of like multiple things going on in different worlds. And we have this kind of middle world they go to this this very Game of Thrones looking, you know, town with, you know, which I mean would have been. It, it looks lovely. It's very creative looking, but sometimes I'm like, okay, wait, where are we now? You know, there's yeah. just like, what's going on. But Will, I, what I like about Will's story is it's the opposite of Lyra's and that Will comes from just, as we know it, kind of normal human society. And he's kind of, he's kind of uh, pushed into this fantasy realm. You know, he, he doesn't know about anything about magic or anything. No, stuff. exactly. And he's just kind of an average, he's just an average kid. And his and he's never known his father. That was kind of an interesting thing, too, is these are two kids that really are having parent problems. It's like very, you know, interesting. So Lyra not really knowing her, you know, she thought she was an orphan her whole life, essentially. And then finding out, oh, actually, that that lady that tried to kill you at one point is your mom. And then, uh, yeah, your dad just killed your best friend. <laughs> wow, you guys suck. Talk and about then, therapy. <laughs> And then Will, his poor mom is a little, uh, you know, a little off with her brain and rightfully so knowing what happened and her, he didn't really know he, you know, he's like, oh, my dad died a long time ago. No, your dad's alive. He's off in a mystical realm being a, <laughs> being a, what, what does he become? Not a, he was not a basically a shaman, a shaman. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he's able to control oh, the weather. Oh. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Seeing him with a man bun. I mean, <laughs> come on. Andrew Scott, great actor. You know, Sherlock. He's been in tons of stuff. 1917 and then got that man bun going on. Yeah, of all the other things that throw you off in a world of demons and talking bears, the man bun threw me off one of the most. The man bun. But we get this journey that Will, he needs to try to go find his father. That is kind of his long-term journey. Is yep, and then Lyra he, ends up uh, meeting him as they are world traveling, and then they team up. And all this time, Lyra has this really awesome device, uh, which in the book's called either the Golden Compass, but it's really called the Alethiometer. Yes. And this is basically a kind of, a, it is almost, in a way, a moral compass where... You, ah, I see what you did there. Yeah. So where the user, um, if they use it correctly, um, you know, they always say, you know, people spend years to understand what the symbols are. Lyra gets it like that. She's quick study. And she uses this device to answer any question. And it does not it does not um, have prejudice or anything. It just tells you what you ask. That's all. Whether it's good or bad. It tells the truth. 
Yep. Yeah. And so this device leads her to Will, and then she decides to help him find his father. That's her task. Um, all the while, um, they're working, and then Will becomes the bearer of what we find out is the subtle knife, which we get this great kind of intro into it, very Lord of the Rings-esque and the, the subtle knife that was forged. And we find out this, <laughs> this, this we- it's really a weapon, but it's a, it's a knife that can cut through anything. And whoever the bearer is uh, can be great good or great evil um, bringer. And yeah, there's two, si- two sides to the knife. Two so sides that can... One yeah. knife can cut through any material, which is very interesting. And then the other side can actually cut portals to go through them. Cut through and, the fabrics of time. Yeah. And it's a, you have to, you know, it's not like anybody can uh, just use it. He's like, there's, uh, we get a great, uh, we get a great featured role of Terrence Stamp, the great oh, Terrence Stamp, um, who plays Giacomo Paradisi, uh, who is the bearer. And uh, so that was, you know, a great one episode for him, but he explains kind of the rules about it, what happened about it, and why now it's kind of like Will's destinies. He's the bearer of this knife, which is like, you know, that's his task. And again, there's a lot of this show that, that kind of deals with uh, prophecies and fate. And it's like he kind of is going through this journey of like, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. I want to go home. And it's like, no, this is your path, man. This is your job. So like you got to do it. Um, and they talk about how because of the subtle knife and, uh, you know, the abuse of power with opening and, uh, you know, you're not you know, you're supposed to close the portals and stuff when you're doing it. They talk about how um, we have these things called the specters that are raging through this town. Now, I will say, not getting to this part of the book, the way they visualize the specters in this show, they're very cool. They're they're kind of like, you know, they're essentially the precursor to Dementors, really. It's like, I, I feel like J.K. Rowling took a, a little bit of a, uh, borrowed a little bit from this series because yeah. the specters are these kind of, forms of dark mist and shadow that suck all the human parts out of a yeah, adult essentially human. essentially the soul of the people and then you become this this withered husk that you just walking around like you you know so it, it was a very great element i think the fact that with hbo's budget a lot of these things just work really well mm-hmm. and um you get uh, getting some great casting in there and um again some of these scenes and then with uh Mrs. Coulter, she becomes even uh, much more a force to be reckoned with with this season where she's able to control the specters, which is completely unnerving. Yeah, that was very interesting because they 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 say that in this town, all the adults are missing. It's only kids left. And the reason is because all they have they've fled up to the mountains where they will be safe. It's because these specters only attack adults, so they don't they don't deal with kids. And they keep saying that Will is actually getting close to his age that he would start to be noticed. But the subtle knife is actually a weapon that can hurt the specters. So the specters actually steer clear of the subtle knife, which is great. But yeah, Mrs. Coulter is like, oh, they haven't met me yet. And she starts <laughs> to like literally control them. And it's like, what? And it's because her, but again, I love how much they get to show this. And especially through Will Wilson's incredible acting. Her soul is so damaged from her childhood through her whole life, her separation from Lyra. And it not only shows through her, uh, you know, connection with her golden monkey, who I feel so bad for that monkey. Oh my God. Good gosh. And abused. And then also 
I thought, speaking of that, one of the great parallels between that with season one and two, she's able to use, and a lot of people can use their demons to attack other demons. And if you want to see effects, and she uses her demon to um, hurt Lyra and her demon. And then there's a great turn of this one where Lyra uses that back on her. But because monkey, (laughs) you know, I know because she's so damaged, she's like, this doesn't really affect me. And she like starts to go like she turns at her and she's got the crazy, crazies look in her eye. And that was actually a great fight scene when they had, uh, yeah, uh, Lyra's Damon, uh, I always say it wrong, Pantalimon? Yeah, but Pan, it's a Pantalimon. He turns into like kind of, (laughs) yeah, he kind of turns into like a bigger form of like a a badger, like a badger, a weasel. And he's starting to like, go at the monkey and the monkey's just getting beat up but uh, that poor monkey it's like because uh marissa knows how to she can go far away from it and not you know th- usually there's a pain if you're separated from your, your daemon too long or too far and just poor little guy and i'm like i feel like there's going to be some point in season three where there's going to be a turning point where i just want him to speak up enough is enough yeah oh yeah <laughs> It's it's Ricky Gervais. What else? What else do I gotta do? I mean, honestly, um, that would but, be great. Yeah, she she's really uh, doing everything she can to get what she wants, even to the point where she forms this bond with Carlo, and then eventually she poisons him and kills him, which I thought was a. We was get great. a lot of major deaths in this season, which mm-hmm. that was uh, one of the those great scenes where it's uh uh. You know, the kind of the tables have turned where he's all like, oh, I, I want us to work together and I see you as an equal, which I think was a great parallel too with her character is she comes to our world and she meets this uh, brilliant um, scholars, teacher, um, the scientist, where she's like, Very, wow, yeah. women, look at the success that women can have. And, and in my world, I'm, I'm just kind of looked as inferior, even though I've worked so hard to She'll get never be that. top dog because that's not, you, you notice that the magisterium is all men. It's a it's a great parallel again. I think going to what Pullman's material is about religion and how it's really kind of kept people not in a little, little dark. His dark materials. So you know, for years and still to this day, unfortunately, there's a lot of that where we are we have been ruled in a very white, a male dominated world, and uh, you see that very well in the series. Yeah, and they they definitely had that great moment too when. Um the the main cardinal got killed uh you know we had uh the witches which is by the way in this show i love how they how they design them their costumes and everything look great the makeup but the the way that they kind of animate their speed through like almost like teleportation like they're very yeah. kind of like nightcrawler from x-men they like you know they're very fast oh it was fantastically done it kind of <laughs> that's actually seen kind of reminded me a little bit of um <laughs> we had that scene uh, when that one witch goes to kill the Cardinal on like the airship, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Aquaman, like through all the, like, you know, the small like alleyways and the stuff, but um, great scene. And now, yeah, we have this creepy, you know, he's been kind of manipulated a little bit by, Mrs. Uh, by Mrs. Coulter, but we have the new, you know, kind of head of the um, Magisterium, Magisterium, who, uh, same actor that was just I, I was like where have I seen this guy uh, he was in the crown as like the queen's like you know main uh, guy and I was like oh so like it's just so funny to think him super nice guy in that and this he's so creepy and I love that all the magisterium people have like their demons are like spiders or snakes or you know lizards it, it it's yeah really- that was a great choice very creepy and again this is their inner soul they're supposed to be this 
religious uh, group that's, you know, all for the good, but you can tell they're all real messed up. Yeah. And they're definitely the ones that have all the power because they have not only is these airships, they have a lot of weapons, they have huge armies with, you know, guns and stuff. And yeah, you could tell that they're, they find out that <laughs> there's a prophecy about Lyra. Her real name is Eve. Oh, that before what? Which makes me think: Does that mean that Will is Adam? I'm not sure, but uh, you know, these two were meant to find each other, and now we kind of see that the building blocks is to there's going to be an all-out war, the Great War, and you know, we even had a moment. Another another great adding to the mythology world building is that angels uh, do exist. Where we we okay now. As Lord Asriel, <laughs> we were laughing because James McAvoy not seen it all until the last episode of season two. <laughs> you know, he has this great monologue and now he's rallying the troops and it's going to lead to this big face off. And unfortunately, at the end of the season, we lose a lot of other great people where Will finally is reunited with his dad. But unfortunately, that's cut short. And uh, Lee Scoresbury, he goes out um, fighting the goes good out fight. slinging, fighting the good fight and doing the thing he's got to do. Which again, I love. When- his, his performance color. this season, especially his scene with Mrs. Coulter uh, and the prison, just I'm I'm so glad that he was cast for this because he does he has a really good amount of the swagger and some very intense you know dialogue scenes that I was like really well done. Yeah, and that yeah that whole ending with all these this gunslinging and you know yeah poor poor Will's dad finally you know why why did you leave us you know and it's like. I was put on this path. I don't know. It was, you know, I, I was sent here as well. You know, it's kind of like his idea of, I, I didn't, I didn't want to leave you guys. And I tried to get back and it just, it never worked for me. And now it's like, this is your path. Now you are the bearer of this knife. You have a journey. You have a, you know, you have a, a task at hand, you know, to save the world. And uh, you know, I think with the dad dying, that was kind of the step will needed to be like, all right, you know what? He wasn't in my life. Most of my life. Uh, I got to see him at least one last time. And now it's like, I got to do what I do. And he takes his dad's jacket and it's like, I'm going to go be the, you know, the, the bearer of the subtle knife. <laughs> um, but I do like, uh, you know, I was kind of reading up about is Asriel good or bad? You know, there's definitely, it's one of those like neither here nor there because it's like what he's trying to do is for the greater good in terms of taking down the authority, uh, which would be like, you know, this kind of religious group in all these different worlds. And, you could tell that he it's on the right path, but you know, again, certain sacrifices have to be made along the way, such as someone like Roger. But I was reading that there's a kind of a connection of Azrael is somewhat symbolic of Lucifer, and that he is the fallen angel who yeah. then is is getting all the other angels on his side to go for this great war. You know, all this symbolism of of uh, religion and you know it's that that is really powerful to me well i mean even his name and you know think of the angels asriel and asriel's blade which mm-hmm. uh you know leading into the subtle knife and and for those who have read the books or kind of know there's definitely going to be leading up to some other good pairings of people that um obviously that have to get connected to you know get to that because we're left off with marissa coulter now has kidnapped lyra she's got her will now he's mastered the knife and he's ready to go forth asriel's gathering his army and the witches are you know rallying forces as well and it's really going to be you know asriel against the magisterium as they're kind of converging on this final bit and of course i think we will bring back the arbor bears i'm not sure but 
it's definitely a good setup uh, for what season, the third and final season, which we have got confirmed, um, which will come up, which I'm very excited about. And kind of what makes me want to go back and read the books again, just to kind of dive back in that material. Well, now I'm curious to know what, what is the third material and how does that play into that book? You know, the third one being called the Amber Spyglass. So like, you know, each of these devices has something, uh, you know, important to do. So like, what does that have to do with the continuation of the story? And yeah, there's, there's a lot to, you know, kind of finish up and wrap up, which clearly, you know, you kind of see like, well, there's going to probably be a lot of stuff going on and eventually a big war. And then by the end, you know, they've saved the day, but, um, so, you know, it's a very, I think what, what HBO has done well here is it's visually very stunning. There's a lot of great, again, these landscapes, because, you know, they're out in the, uh, on the river, or they're out, especially when they're like in London area, going to Oxford and stuff, you know, these buildings. And then the, the, the mysticism of like going out to like the North Pole area, like, you know, these like ice caps and stuff, yeah. or they're in these mountains or like in the forest or this this village, it reminded me a little bit of Game of Thrones, a little bit of Narnia, this like cool village with these, these specters. The visualization of this show is very well done. The acting of the show is very well done. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone could ever, there's, there's probably no way to make it any easier to follow, but they, they're, they're doing a, a good job of that. It's a hard thing. It, to- well, without, without having to have like narration, which I think, is a good or bad thing when you have a lot of exposition because that kind of takes you out of the thing where they are respectful of the audience where this is the world building keep up we respect you smart enough to understand it <laughs> pay attention yeah um yeah yeah but i mean it, it's also not to the point where i think it's vastly confusing i think the overall arc story you kind of get the moments that really started to confuse me a bit was like in season two yeah, we were introduced to Mary, this scientist who's been working on dark matter. And so she's she's essentially in our world, which is more, you know, looking at a scientific approach, not a religious approach. She's trying to look like, what is dark matter? What is it? Those things that we, you know, we still don't really understand. And then finding out that from Lyra's point of view, no, that's dust. And dust is this thing from my world. And then eventually she figures out this thing through her, con- you know, she kind of puts these things on her head goes to like this deep middle space of like you're not asleep you're not awake the in-between and then the computer starts talking to her and it's like these images of dust and that's when i was like wait what's going on like you know that was kind of confusing <laughs> it was like uh <laughs> the uh magic cow machine <laughs> what's happening? yeah because then it starts talking to her and then like throughout it's like you know you need to become the snake you need to go to this place we will never talk again bye-bye <laughs> It was like, okay. Magic mission possible. This message will self-destruct. <laughs> but I think there's, you know, obviously a purpose to Mary's character. And now that she's in this new world and it's like, I feel like I lo- I like those stories when it's like the one person who's always wanted that thing that most people think, you know, her work's not been published yet. Right. So no, she's, yeah, like, she's, she's been she's fighting. Always, yeah. She's been fighting and yeah. researching this probably not been taken seriously and now she's been transported into this world and it's like which is a nice little parallel to mrs coulter's character because they're both in they're both their worlds and their kind of perspective fields and their life they have come from different backgrounds but they haven't really been given the due credit and the justice and respect that they probably really deserve so now although in different methods one's more nefarious than the other they are trying to find that light they're trying to finally get to the end of that rainbow 
and it's interesting to see where all these characters go and there's a it, it it's exciting i think it definitely it definitely picked up picked up a lot a lot was going on but both this season for sure there was so much going on i was like okay i want to i want to see what happens here and uh, and we kind of we, you and i discussed that it's a bit of a hard act to follow game of thrones as being this is somewhat the first fantasy series or really you know i haven't really think there's been many fantasy movies either since game of thrones and yeah. game of thrones being how it ended you know there was a big kind of uh fan base that was really upset about that last season so i think you know not that this has anything to connect to game of thrones apart from being on the fantasy series but i think there was just a lot on the plate to be like all right we're not going to have as many seasons to really explain and branch all these characters we're going to stick to about a season a book so we're probably gonna have three seasons here but i think overall it's kind of that same style there's so many characters and things going on so you do have to be focused but I think it's an enjoyable ride. I've, I've liked this version so far, and I will be excited to check out season three when we get it. We don't know exactly when that will be. I'm sure because of COVID, a lot of things are being uh, stopped to film or very you know safe to be filmed. So I'm assuming we probably will get a season three. If it doesn't drop at the end of this year, 2022 would be my bet to get yeah. the Amber Spyglass. It's a, but, it's um, a bet. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like with you, I, I think I, I'd want to check out the books. And then also, uh, just looked up, I had no clue about this. Philip Pullman actually wrote three novellas that continue the story of Lyra. And he's actually been already, he's already released two books of a new trilogy that has to deal with this world, The Book of Dust. If you're a fan of us or you're a fan of the books, um, for many of you probably watching this show, you probably maybe novices to the whole materials or everything. Um, but if you're a fan, definitely something maybe to, to tide you over, uh, or, you know, look, look into before, um, you know, season three drops or even after it drops, but I'm excited to check that out. We were really pumped that he's been creating stuff within this world. And I think, I think it's always great when authors continue to kind of go back to the, the material when there's, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. Especially, you know, to branch out. And I believe the first book is a prequel, and then the second book is like Lyra at age like 22. So I think it'd be interesting to kind of see how that ties into the story. But definitely a good time watching His Dark Materials, currently streaming on HBO Max. And that was this week's Potential Pick. Thanks for listening to The Potential Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Potential Podcast or on Twitter at The Potential Pod. Or you can email us. Send us your positive feedback and thoughts, suggestions, and more through our email, thepotentialpodcast at yahoo.com. I'm your host, Chris Dewar. And I'm your host, Taylor Sokol. Stay tuned for more episodes on pop culture, entertainment, and nerdum. And remember, know, know your, your potential. potential.